You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and joining me today is my good friend, Greg Benz, a master photographer himself. How are you, Greg? I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me back, Jeff. Yeah. Happy to have you. So, uh, Greg has been on the show before, but we're adding tons of new listeners all the time to the show. So, I want to make sure that we give any new guest, uh, a new host, uh, a time to kind of give us the 30-second elevator pitch about uh, about them. And, and you know, you can include your Lumenzia product, too. So, what do you say? What What is your 30-second elevator pitch there, Greg? <laughs> uh, for, so, for those who don't know me, I'm a landscape photographer. I'm actually a working photographer who sells my art, but also a software developer and instructor. So, I teach Photoshop, and I also uh, develop a plugin for Photoshop called Lumenzia, which creates luminosity masks and selections, which... If you've never heard that before, basically it means it gives you a more natural way of creating master selections from the image. So, for example, if you want to restore color to the sky, you can more easily select the sky and adjust just that part of the image. Right, right. Yep, it's it's awesome. So, if you haven't checked it out yet, go check out Lumenzia. And there's a Photo Taco podcast that we did on that topic, too, and talked a little bit about it. So, you can go search Searching that up, I'll, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to it. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're not even going into Lumenzia or, well, I guess a little, we'll touch on it a little bit at the end. But today, what I wanted to do, and the reason I asked Greg to come and be on the show with me was he recently published here in July 2019 an article to his website called How to Reduce Noise in Photoshop. And I love Greg's articles. He does such a great job with them. There's usually a YouTube video or something there too to to provide additional guidance. But there was one particular uh, few lines out of that article that caught my attention, Greg, and why I want to have that be our topic for today. It's uh, it's a little bit uh, controversial, I think, <laughs> and and we'll we'll see about uh, about how that goes in the discussion. And I'm sure we're gonna have tons of feedback. From other people too, but here's what he, here's what Greg said in the post. And then we're, we'll talk about the the topic here. He said, "There's a lot of debate about which software does the best job of reducing noise. There are many great options. Some of them can outdo Adobe in some scenarios, but I still prefer using Lightroom or ACR Adobe Camera Raw in Photoshop most of the time for a few reasons. And we're gonna we're gonna kind of start there in our discussion. So, Greg." Um, I love having lots of different people on the show to talk about this stuff because different perspectives bring different workflows. And there's not, in this creative world, there's not one workflow that's right or wrong. <laughs> it's it's whatever enables you to create your vision, to to realize your creative vision, and and be successful with your photos and and get out of them what you want, how you how you think about them, and, and get the very best out of it. So if if Lightroom's the tool you use awesome. If it's getting you there to where you want to be, if Photoshop's the tool you need to use, that's okay too. It's not like, you know, art. other artists don't have this question come to them. They don't say, wow, you use that kind of paintbrush? That? I can't believe you use that kind of paintbrush <laughs> or, or something like that. There, there's not a right or wrong way to do this. And I like to bring on these different views and perspectives because our listeners are, there's a vast audience of listeners here who all have different techniques and styles and, and desires, creative visions, goals, 
those kinds of things and one tool or one way isn't going to reach or, or meet everyone's needs. So I like to have a, a couple of different things. A couple of weeks ago, I had Photoshop guru Aaron Nace on the Photo Taco podcast, and I'll put a link in the show notes there. It's, it's an episode where we talked about taking the intimidation out of Photoshop. But in that episode, he directly said, yeah, he never does sharpening outside of Photoshop. It's, it's in Photoshop only. He doesn't use ACR for it. He uses other techniques. And he would never recommend anyone do it in Lightroom. And that's fine for Aaron. Aaron's a Photoshop guy. He loves Photoshop. He's really comfortable with all the tools that are in Photoshop, of course. But that doesn't mean it's for everyone. So, so Greg, what, for you, help me with your statement that you had in your blog post there about wanting to use Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw and to do your sharpening, why you prefer that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I certainly can't speak for Aaron. I don't know him personally. He's a great instructor. My guess is if he and I were sat down and talked about this, we'd probably find that we're either in large agreement or maybe we're doing the same thing different ways or we're just working on different work, right? That's, I think one of the challenges with this is everyone's looking for what's the workflow for sharpening your noise reduction, but it depends on so many factors. You know, how did you capture the image? What was the subject? Are you going to put it online? Are you going to print it? How big? There's there's so many different variables in there. And, you know, no matter what you do, there's usually multiple ways you can get to the same place or awfully close. So um, I think it's great to get lots of perspectives on this topic and, and see what works for you. But kind of coming back to that question of, you know, why use the Adobe products? Because there's a lot of tools that are designed specifically for sharpening or specifically right. for noise reduction. And you'll talk to a lot of people who say they're definitely better or they're a little better or whatever. But you know, I think most most people out there would say they've tried some other tool and they find maybe it works better than, you know, Lightroom or Photoshop in some particular situation. And uh, I've certainly had those experiences too, where there's some images that I can get a little bit better result in one product over another. Sometimes I've seen Adobe products are better than the third party stuff. And sometimes the reverse, right? I haven't really found anything to be universally true. Um, but what I, what I found for the most part is when, when Adobe is not as good as the alternative, it's usually close enough. And, you know, for me, if you're zooming in beyond like the level you're going to print something or beyond what you're viewing it, you know, if you get to a level of just like making it better to be scientifically better, that to me is the point of diminishing returns. And for me, other factors start coming into play. I'm asking myself, well, what about, for example, the benefit of smart objects? So if I go and use some third party tool, like from Nick or on one or something like that, I don't have the same flexibility necessarily that I do when I go back and tweak something that was done with a camera raw smart object in Photoshop. So to me, that's a big advantage. And sometimes even if that one particular step is maybe not fully optimized, the overall process is better optimized and can lead to a better result with that kind of flexibility. Um, so there's a lot of things that kind of go into that. So I, I certainly wouldn't argue with anyone who says like, Hey, this or that tool is definitively better. Uh, you know, cause I haven't seen their, their work and what sure. they're doing with it and everything else. But in my experience, I've seen that the Adobe tools, you know, um, frequently are better and, and, or at least as good, uh, and do a really nice job. And then with all the other benefits and consideration of just kind of the workflow to me, that's why I stick with those tools, but I keep experimenting. I've got the Nick tools. I've got, you know, the, the stuff from DXO I've got, I've tried the AI noise reduction tools that are out there. I, I've tried neat image. I mean, I've, I do right. play with a lot of these, not to the level that I've done with the Adobe products, but enough to feel pretty confident when I say I haven't seen anything yet that would convince me to, you know, use another tool given kind of the overall 
decisions I'm facing. Sure. So, and I think that's the point to make here is if, if the listeners out there completely disagree and they're like, no, no, I get way better results on my photos by using whatever tool it is besides Lightroom or Adobe Camera great. Then go do it. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. You're getting the results you want. You have the tool you need and go, go make your photos, go create your images. That's excellent. Go do it. For those that want to stay with Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw, and we feel like we can get the same, you know, reasonable results or, or good results, then then you don't need to say, oh, man, you're doing it wrong <laughs> because you're not using, you know, X tool for this that is so much better. Um, you know, we don't have to do that. That's it, It's up to everybody to figure out what it is. And that's why I like to have these different perspectives. I like to educate people. If I found someone, a, a host out there that had some other tool they loved, I'd bring them on and let's talk about it too so that listeners could be exposed to tons of different ways to do this. But we're going to focus on Lightroom and Adobe Camera Raw for sharpening and noise reduction today and talk about Greg's workflow in particular. I just wanted to say that I also prefer the Lightroom tools for it myself. Um, and I have a really specific reason that I, I think a lot of other listeners of the show are going to be able to identify with. And it's it's a time sync kind of problem. Not sync like synchronization, but sync like a ship going down. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's because for me, I have this really massive problem as the second I bring a photo into Photoshop, I'm going to spend a lot of time in there. I'm going to spend a ton of time in there. I'm going to notice every little thing that I don't like about the pixels in that photo. And because I the tools are right there in Photoshop to change it, do so much kind of pixel manipulation in there, and there's so much power to do it, I end up wasting tons of time on edits. So I always have a goal, especially on my family portraits. When I'm editing those, I have this goal of I need to stay in Lightroom as much as I possibly can to avoid the temptation. I know myself that I'm, I'm going to be too tempted to spend too much time on an edit for stuff that in the end for the family, the client that I'm going to be delivering, they're probably not even going to notice. They're not, <laughs> they're not going to be able to tell. And um, I just need to spend as little time as possible in doing the editing. So I have to stay out of Photoshop as much as I can. That doesn't mean I won't go in there if there's a need. If there's something in there that's, that's really distracting, for example, the Lightroom tools are not good enough to, uh, to take out those distracting objects for me. So I'll take, I will absolutely go into Photoshop for that. And then I, my shift, my mindset to, I got to get out of here as fast as I can. I got to get out of here as fast. As I can. <laughs> so I like doing the sharpening and noise reduction there because it works really well for my purposes and the images that I'm creating. I get the results that I need and, uh, and I don't have to go into Photoshop for that specific purpose. I may need to for something else. And then I may play around with some sharpening or noise reduction in there while I'm there. But, uh, my goal is to, to get out of Photoshop as, as fast as I possibly can for a huge portion of my edits. So that's why I kind of prefer the workflow that we're going to, we're going to talk about here. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's a fun thing to, everyone's workflow needs are different. There's, we all have different objectives and goals. Um, I, I think there's going to be a lot of listeners that will identify with what I just said though. Do you ever find yourself being totally like time sunk into Photoshop? Oh yeah. I mean, of course, right? Like you, you get on these rabbit holes, but more and more, I, I kind of fall into certain workflows these days. I mean, if you, if you look back at what I'm doing, you know, I think a lot of people these days know me as a landscape photographer, but 
you know, for eight years prior to that, I was doing, um, you know, I did commercial medical device shoots. I've done babies, uh, engagements, weddings, you know, sports. I've done a, a variety of different things. And most of those different categories have done some printing or certainly online stuff. So I've, I've kind of been through all these different workflows. And, you know, as you see that, there, there really are different needs for these things. You know, what I did for making a wedding album is different for what I'll do to make a, you know, yeah, a huge enlargement sure. of one of my landscape images. Right. Um, and I, I like to think I'm a little more well-rounded because of that, but you know, there's always a lot of things you don't know, but I, I certainly appreciate when, when people have these debates that sometimes you're listening to a guy's like, well, that guy shoots portraits and that guy's, you know, shooting sunset mountains. Well, you know, they're, they're going to inherently <laughs> right. have some different answers there. So, that's right. That's um, right. yeah, I think it's always, it's always contextual, but definitely, I guess to lay out my bias for this show, the way I'm thinking about my work for these days is usually. Uh, what's going to get me to the ability to print at least 40 by 60 inches. Um, you know, I'll, I'll process my image to make sure I can, can do that. You know, if at some point I ever had to like redo the edit from scratch to, to go even further, I would, but I really like to avoid that of course. Right. So, okay. All right. Yeah. So with that like huge disclaimer up front, <laughs> we're not saying this is the <laughs> only way to do it or you're making a mistake. If you you're using a different tool, if it works for you, awesome. Keep going. You know, keep keep shooting, keep producing the images that you want to create. But for those listeners where they they want to follow kind of this same workflow, I wanted to to try to go through some practical advice that might help them. Uh, because I think a lot of photographers, there's a bunch of other sliders in Lightroom and in and other tools in the develop module that are I won't say self-explanatory, but they're not too hard to kind of figure out what they do and how to use them and and try them out because most of them are like single purpose sliders. You have like one slider that affects that thing, or maybe there's a couple that have slightly different, but you can tell by, by using the slider, especially if you'll take them to an extreme, what that slider is doing with in particular with sharpening and noise reduction. I don't think it's quite that easy. (laughs) They, they work together and there's more, there's four for one scenario and three for the other two for, for noise reduction and they, it, it, I think you just have to have a little bit of help to understand kind of how these sliders work and what they're going to do. So that's what I want to go through in the next part of the show here, Greg, if that's okay with you. I want to talk about those sliders and give some real practical advice on how to use them, or at least how you use them. Because I, I think there could be varying opinions on how that goes too, but does that sound okay? Absolutely. And, and for anyone who feels intimidated, you know, believe me, we've all started there. I spent Absolutely. a lot of time to figure these things out, but... The, uh, the Adobe tools, if you look at what else is out there, usually there's like 20 sliders and <laughs> right. everything. So this is actually, you know, for, fairly simplified from that. You just need to kind of understand, you know, if I, if I was creating these products, I'd maybe like label things a little bit differently. And we'll kind of get into, you know, how I kind of approach the workflow. I think there's some ways to simplify everything's quite a bit. Right. And I think actually that's a good testament to start off with here about how come, why I think a lot of photographers may prefer the workflow for for sharpening and noise reduction in Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw because because we can actually, in an audio-only podcast, go through these things and I think sort of explain it. Whereas a lot of other techniques or a lot of other tools, it would be tough (laughs) to go through it in audio-only. If you can add video, that changes things dramatically. Um, And even then, you, you could watch a video of someone using their image to do their processing that came from their camera, their lenses, their techniques, 
And then you bring up your own image. You're like, this isn't working at all like I saw them <laughs> doing in the video. And and it becomes uh, frustrating and difficult to, to try to go through. So I think that that's another reason uh, this is a good thing to learn, a good thing to know, a good tool to have in your toolbox, understanding how these tools work. Then if they don't on a, on a specific image that you're working on as a photographer, if they don't work for you, Go look for other tools. Go 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 try other things to see if it gets what you need done. If these kind of fail you um, for whatever reason, but at least understanding how to use them so you have the best chance possible to give the tool a good try and and see if it meets your needs, I think is is super important. And uh, what I one of the things I want to make sure we do here in in the podcast. Okay, um, the other thing I wanted to mention before we get into the specific sliders that we're going to talk about in the develop module, we. Uh, I may say Lightroom, Greg may say Adobe Camera Raw along the way. They're the same thing, right, Greg? They're like, we should think of them as identical things. Yeah, the only, the only thing I'd say to that is if you do it in Adobe Camera Raw, you have a little more ability to mask it in, to sure. apply it just in certain parts of the image. But the, all, the, all the controls are identical. Yeah, it's the same uh, software engine that's behind all the sliders that we're going to talk about. So whether you're using a, Adobe Camera Raw in Photoshop or you're using Lightroom proper, they're the same. What we're going to talk about with these sliders, it's exactly the same between the two of them. Um, you have a little bit more control kind of after you've used Adobe Camera Raw and Photoshop to do some other things, uh, but they're the same as, as Lightroom. So if we use Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw, if we say either one of those things, they're the same. That's where, for the remainder of the episode here. Okay. So with that all said, let's talk, uh, let's start off with the sharpening sliders because they're the, the top ones in the UI <laughs> as you're in Lightroom or Adobe camera, as you're in the tool, they're the, the, they're the first ones that are shown in the, the user interface there. So Greg, tell me about the four sharpening sliders. Yeah. So Adobe has done a really nice job of making everything kind of top down. So I do think about doing like sharpening and then the other stuff and right. within that you're starting off with the amount um, and then you have these other little details of uh, radius detail masking these sliders. And the way to think about it is basically the first line is, you know, like how much you want to apply of that sharpening. And the next three sliders kind of determine how it's set up. You know, so, uh, for example, you know, you can adjust radius detail and masking and that'll give you a certain look. And then you can just dial up the amount anywhere from, you know, zero to 100 percent. So generally speaking, the way to, to approach this is crank up the amount really high and then you can dial in the next right. three to get the look you want and then you bring the amount back to where you want. Just like if you kind of over adjusted something in Photoshop, you could then reduce the opacity of the layer. It's a similar kind of thing that sometimes it helps to kind of overdo it to really get a, a handle for what you're doing to the image and then dial in the right amount of it. Right. Exactly um, how I use it too. That's how I prefer to start off. I take the amount over to like, I don't know what it's, it's over a hundred um, so that I can really see the effect of the sharpening dramatically, kind of get it, you know, dial in these other sliders we're going to talk about, and then I, I'll take the amount back. Usually I end up around 80. Is there kind of a default value you end up at? I, I do, but I, I use this tool in a very specific way that a lot of people really don't. And and that's important is, you know, for example, you know, if Aaron says he's not doing any sharpening, I, I guess I'd you know wonder, is he leaving it at the defaults? Is that what yeah. he means? Nothing. Or does he actually take the amount down to zero? Because your image actually has sharpening applied to it when you open it up, unless you apply some other changes to it or some kind of new default. I mean, it's right. zero sharpening is not the default in, in Lightroom. Um, but I, 
I use it for a very specific reason. Um, I'm trying to offset what's known as capture uh, or create capture sharpness. Um, so I don't think this is terribly controversial. Most people who do some printing would talk about sharpening being like capture sharpening, creative sharpening, right. and then your output or print sharpening. And the difference is basically you're, you're kind of offsetting the softness that occurs when you take the picture in camera, you know, things like defects in the lens or just little optical variability of, you know, the, the filters in front of your lens, things like that. You're trying to offset that softness. And then there's creative sharpening, which is basically trying to just make the image look its best on a monitor. And then there's print sharpening, which is trying to kind of anticipate the fact when you print it out, the, the little ink dots are going to spread out and soften the image. So you make it unnaturally sharp. And then when you print it, it kind of softens down to the right amount. And so with that kind of a workflow in mind, I'm not trying to do all the sharpening at once. So I'll go in Lightroom and I just specifically want to address the limitations of my camera to give my, myself kind of the best starting point in terms of the pixel quality. Um, so to do that, I use what's known as deconvolution sharpening, and that's built into Lightroom. If you just move the sliders to the right spot, it's actually uh, very simple. Just take the radius to the minimum, detail to the maximum um, every time. So, so I don't really adjust these sliders almost ever anymore. Now, if I was going to print from Lightroom or um, I was only going to the web or things like that, I might take a different approach. But if the goal is to be able to print an image, starting off with deconvolution sharpening as your first step is really the way to go. You'll get a better finished result for large prints. So That's for right. me, that looks like, you know, radius to the minimum, which is uh, half a pixel, okay. detail to the max, which is 100. And I, I never use masking, so that's always zero. So I set those and then I'll dial in that amount. And the amount for me um, is going to be somewhere between about like 10 and maybe 80. Most of the time it's like 35 to 50. But if I have an image that can take more sharpening, I might add more. If I have an image that is going to show noise, like there's um, you know a high ISO night image or something like that, then I'll push it way, way low, maybe all the way to zero even. You know, if I'm shooting the Milky Way at ISO 6400, and it's super noisy. Sharpening just might be bad for the image because it adds noise. Uh -huh. um, but but basically, those other three sliders are always the same values for me, and I just dial on the amount until it looks really crisp without adding noise. Okay. All right. So yeah, let's let's review then. Just because you went through kind of all the sliders at once, there amount. It, let, let's walk through like the actual step. You're going through your photo. They're at the defaults. How do you start off this process? What's the first thing you do? Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe just to, to break down the sliders and then yeah. we can kind of come back to okay. summarize yeah, like why I always use the same values. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So the, the radius is really how far around a pixel you're, you're, it's like the size of the sharpening effect. So if you take the radius to be, you know, it can be anywhere between a half a pixel and three pixels. If you slide that to the right to three pixels, then you get more distinct, larger edges. Like if I'm at the edge of a building or a mountain or something like that, you'll see kind of a larger radius, which can create more of a bold look that you would be able to see um, on a smaller print or from a further distance, but it also can bring up more haloing. Right. Um, but there's, there's sort of a, you know, a right number for an image, but it depends on what you're doing. When I'm trying to do deconvolution, my goal is to bring out really, really small details for enlargement. So I'm going to use a really small radius. Gotcha. And then the, the next slider is the detail slider. And it, what's not said there is basically there's two different sharpening algorithms. If you have that slider all the way at zero, then it's using unsharp masking. 
And if you slide it all the way to the right, you're getting deconvolution. And deconvolution is a very specific form of sharpening designed to offset that softness when you actually capture the image in camera. It makes certain assumptions about how you've captured the image and tries to undo it. So you would, you'd never want to apply this to an image after you've resized it or something like that. You'd break those assumptions. So it's either you do it as the first sharpening on the image or you, you would skip it. But you can kind of move that slider between those. So I, I could go somewhere in the middle and you'd get a blend of the two. So for example, if I set the slider at like 30%, then I'd be getting 30% unsharp mask and 70% deconvolution. It's a way kind of blending those two things. But visually, you know, I, I think it is kind of giving you this sense of the more you slide it to the right, you're getting more of those fine details. So I think, right. I think simply just describing deconvolution as detail is, is a reasonable way for them to label that slider. It makes sense. Right. Um, and so with that goal in mind, I'm always pushing that slider all the way to the right to get that deconvolution. And then the masking slider is, I think, also a little bit confusing. The idea is that you want to sharpen edges, but not things in between, because the, the things in between are typically noise. So, for example, a body of water or like a, a piece of metal, like, you know, the side of like a, a museum that's all metal or something like that. You have these like smooth areas and if you sharpen all that noise, it pops out. So masking is a way of telling the algorithm, hey, you know, try not to sharpen things that aren't edges. And the more you increase that mask, the more that you limit the sharpening just to the edges. And in theory, that would be a really great thing to do. But in practice, I find that it doesn't create such a clean result. And so this mix of things that are sharp and not sharp to me looks a little artifacted. So I would rather just turn it off so that I'm getting sharpening everywhere. And then if I need to apply it locally, I can just, you know, use a layer mask in Photoshop to kind of refine where that is. Or could you do a, uh, an adjustment brush in Lightroom to kind of counteract it? Absolutely. And, and I think this is one of these things that a lot of people don't understand. If you go to use, you know, any of the local adjustment tools in Photoshop, there's a sharpness option. And if you use it, what you're doing is basically setting the local amount Right. But the global settings for radius detail and masking are applied through that brush. So, for example, if I set my radius to the minimum and detail to the max to get deconvolution sharpening, then when I grab that local adjustment brush, whatever amount I'm using, I'm getting deconvolution through that. You can even go down to the global settings and change those sliders, and you'll see that your local brushing will change. Right. So the, the brush itself is only giving you one of the four sliders the other three you have to set as one value for the whole image but there's really no need to change that so you can go and set these sliders the way you want and then use that brush to paint it in the limitation of doing that is you can usually create a much more precise mask if you're in photoshop sure, to sure. really get clean around the edges or you know something i'll do a lot is use a luminos uh, luminosity mask in order to only um sharpen areas of detail like in the highlights like for example i wouldn't want to necessarily sharpen the deep shadows because they tend to have more noise right so there's other kind of fancy ways you can sharpen just in the parts of the image that need it and just in the parts of the image that can really take it because sometimes you have you know places in the image that just simply they just fall apart when you sharpen them they start to look noisy and strange yep although the the new range masking and luminosity masking in the adjustment brushes is has helping there too so you can get more 
it's better selection or better painting on those adjustments than it used to be. It's still not Photoshop. <laughs> it's still not the selection tools that you have in there. That those are are way more advanced uh, and and capable to make really good selections that uh, that look. It's the best best choice for it for sure. If you've got a really really tough uh, picture where you need to separate the shadows and, and the sharpening then Photoshop's going to be a better tool to to make sure that you can apply those adjustments. But the adjustment brushes with the, the range masking is uh, is really helping to be able to make it so that you can try to counteract some of the sharpening you may dial in, like maybe a sky, if you want to take the sky in a photo and make it so that it doesn't have quite as much sharpening applied to it. That's not hard to do in in Lightroom to, to paint in the adjustment brush and then dial back the sharpening a little bit so it looks it looks more appealing or, or how you want it to be. It's just some, another thing to try um, if if there's Lightroom users who maybe, maybe don't use Photoshop at all. Yeah, no, that's, that's, and that's a really good use of the range mask. The range mask yeah. is not the best tool for some adjustments, but for things like noise, I think it works really well. Yep. Noise and sharpening. Okay. All right. So we've got, I think we went through all the sliders now, right? What they do. So tell me the workflow exactly. You're going to start with, um, with a mount. Is that right? Is that the first one? Or are you just going to slide radius to the left and detail the right? Is that first step? If I was going to experiment with the other sliders, then I would set the sharpness amount really high, and then I'd dial in those sliders, and then finalize the amount. But okay. because I'm always using the exact same algorithm, yep. I just set the radius to the all the way to the left, yep. detail all the way to the right, and and masking also to zero every time. And then I'll go and dial in the amount I need, which which like I said, it's usually going to be you know 35 to 50 on most images, but. Um, I'm just going to move that amount up and down until I get something that looks like it's adding, you know, as much detail as possible without adding too much noise in the image. Um, and, and when I say too much, you know, if I have like a lake or something smooth and I see noise there, then I can mask that out and I'll deal with that separately. But if it's like, for example, an area of detail, like, um, you know, the rocky face of a mountain or something like that. If that starts to look too noisy or something like that, that's when I know I'm, I'm pushing it too far. So, you know, you do need to look around the image and kind of ask, you know, where do I really need to apply this and, and where am I causing problems? Because it's it's kind of a blunt tool. It's, it's getting applied everywhere. And you, you do want to apply it locally to some degree and whether it's an adjustment brush or layer mask, whatever. But uh, a lot of images, you wouldn't want to use the same sharpening value across the entire image. Okay, so one other hint I'll give to Lightroom users who are not using Photoshop or Adobe Camera Raw for this, you want to do this at a one-to-one view. Um, if you do it at full, that preview or the image that you're seeing at full is is sort of a, it's a preview. <laughs> it's not the full detail of your image. And you for this specific kind of adjustment, when you're deciding on the amount of sharpening, you need to be zoomed in at one-to-one to have an accurate depiction about how the sharpening is affecting your image. The, the view of anything less than one-to-one, more is fine, but you don't need to go that far. But anything less than one-to-one, you're not going to see an accurate depiction about how the sharpening is affecting your image in Lightroom in particular. So, Yeah, that, that's a really good point. For, for all the things we're covering today, you want to be looking at least 100%. So you're seeing actual pixels. And some people would swear you, you should never go beyond that. But I, I will zoom into like, say, 400% where you get kind of an even upsizing of everything. And, and I find that that um, can work really well when I want to reveal detail in the image. So I think that's okay. Some people disagree with me on that point. But yeah, 
Totally. At least a hundred percent. Yeah. Have to go into at least hundred percent to get a good idea of what's happening. All right. I think we covered sharpening pretty well then. Is there anything else to say about sharpening there? Um, well, I would just simply say that, you know, when I do that, that's the first step, but when I get over into Photoshop, there'll be the capture sharpening is done, but I'll still want to do creative sharpening and print sharpening. So that's not my whole sharpening workflow. That's just the workflow portion that I do in Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that, so, you know, that could be a follow, <laughs> you know, going further than this, that would be another, another episode, I think <laughs> to, for sure to talk about more than that. Um, but yeah, I think this is a, that's a really good thing to have for the sharpening in Lightroom. The other ones there's, there is in Lightroom when you export, there's an option to apply some sharpening there, but there's uh there's way more in Photoshop for the creative and, and, um, like printing kind of, of sharp output sharpening. Um, so it's why that's, I think that's why a lot of photographers prefer using Photoshop as part of their workflow because they can do more than just this initial sharpening step, but that's what we're focusing on today. It's just the initial, initial step there. Um, okay. Let's go on to noise reduction. And the first thing is there's two different groups of sliders here uh, luminance and color. So that can be confusing right off the top to photographers who may not be used to those terms. Greg, what are the, what's the difference between those two things? Yeah. You know, and, and behind all this, it's helpful to understand a little bit about how cameras work. Um, because there, there's some physical things that occur that create these problems. So luminance noise reduction is the, the noise that most people think about. It's, it's what a lot of people would call grain, right? We have that gritty look to the image and color noise reduction is where you get like spots of inaccurate color. And usually that's not a big problem for people. And a lot of times you could just ignore it. Um, but that's a, it's created in a separate way. So luminous noise reduction comes from using high or, or the luminous noise itself comes from high ISO or, you know, peeking into the shadows and, and lifting your shadows. Basically, you know, when you don't let enough light hit the sensor, then you end up with these like inaccuracies and they show up as what's called luminous noise. It's just kind of the overall brightness is varying. It's not accurate. And then color noise uh, typically is caused by the fact that our most camera sensors have this like pattern of red, green, and blue, like little micro dots to capture the image. If you had something like a Fovian sensor, there are some sensors that can capture all the color in one pixel, but most cameras don't have that. And so if you have some little shift, you know, if the edge of uh, a building is like hitting half the colored pixels uh, on the sensor and, and not the other, then you can have these like little inaccuracies. So there's just other differences in that. So um, if you were to turn off color noise reduction, which is is by default on in your image, if you just take color noise reduction and slide it down to zero, your image is going to look just terrible almost, <laughs> like pretty much every time. So if you don't know what color noise reduction is, just go into Lightroom take the, the color slider, it's just the one that says color, but it really means the color amount, slide it down to zero and zoom into 100%. And you're going to see like all sorts of crazy, tiny little pixel level colors. And that's what color noise reduction is. Um, so I don't know, what, what, would you sum it up in a different way? What's your, your take on those? No, I, I think that's exactly right. Luminance, you can replace that word. Whenever someone talks about luminance, you can talk, you can just think of brightness, darkness kinds of things. That's that's what we're talking about. How bright or dark are the pixels? That's their luminance values. 
So like, just like you said, there's luminance, the, the noise that ends up in photos, there's the two types. One's, one has to do with how bright and dark the pixels are. And the other is the colors. And some of it can be like both the little, little bits of noise. It's going to both be a, a weird place for a, a brighter pixel as, and it's the wrong color. Both things are wrong with that particular pixel. Um, there's a lot of, a, a lot of that that's going on in our photos um, so, so that's why, but there's, there's different tools to try to figure out how to fix that, they, that, that Lightroom's got here. So that's, that's why there's two different groups of them and, uh, and why we're going to go through some of the detail here now. So I, I think that's, that's as clear as I know how to say it <laughs> on, on what the difference is. Um, and, and let's go into the slider. So let's, let's talk about the, no, the luminance noise reduction first. There's three sliders. Tell me what they are. Yep. So you've got the, the first one is luminance, which just like sharpness is kind of the overall amount. Um, so to me, I would just call this luminance amount if I was going to name it. Right. And then you have the next two are luminance detail and luminance contrast. And those are really kind of what the look is going to be. And then you know, the amount will control how much you have overall. Um, so, you know, just, just like with sharpness, you could set the, the luminance, you know, way to the right here to have the full effect and then go dial in detail and contrast to get the look you want and then finalize luminance by bringing it down to the appropriate uh, amount there. Um, so the, so the luminance is the amount luminance detail is very much like the masking slider for sharpness, except I consider it useful uh, <laughs> okay. in this case. <laughs> so so the, the detail, when you, when you slide it to the right, you're basically allowing the uh, luminance, you know, noise reduction to apply to as much of the image as possible but it still will avoid certain things. So if you take like an ISO 6400 image of the Milky Way and zoom into the stars and you slide that, um, you know, detail to get the maximum noise reduction, which would be sliding it all the way to the left, you're still going to see some areas where it doesn't reduce noise, like right at the edge of stars. It'll look like it's kind of noisy. And then a little bit away from the star, it gets like buttery smooth, like artificially fake smooth. Right. Um, so you, you really can't turn this feature kind of off. Um, there's always going to be some level of kind of uh, masking there. But basically, the further you slide that detail to the right, the more that you're limiting the overall uh, luminous noise reduction and allowing fine details to creep into the image. And the more you slide it the other way, the more that you're applying a little bit stronger kind of heavy-handed um, luminous noise reduction. So there, there is, to me, kind of a sweet spot that depends on the image. Like if I'm going to work on a, a night sky image of the stars, if I slide that detail slider to the, the right, I'm going to see more and more of those like secondary minor stars. Like right. you always see the really bright stars, but the more faint stars will, will kind of pop through as you slide to the right. And if you slide it towards the left, you'll, you'll clean up the image a little bit more. You start removing them, but you can also get to a point where if the amount's too high, it'll also look a little fake because, you know, like I said, there's, there's no way to just tell it noise, reduce everything. It's going to avoid noise reduction in a few parts of the image automatically. Um, and then that last slide of that luminous contrast, that's basically a way of trying to undo some unintended effects of the luminous noise reduction, where it basically reduces some contrast and you can bring up the luminous contrast in order to try and bring that through. And the best way I can describe that would be, you know, if you're looking at like a, in the Milky way or something like that, again, using that example, um, if you bring the contrast up, the little nuances in the sky, some of the kind of the, the gaseous clouds and minor stars, like more of those details will kind of creep back in as you increase that contrast. Um, 
And I, I don't have like a, an algorithm on these, like sharpening, I'm always using the same values. Whereas with this one, I'm going to, I'm going to use different amounts of detail and contrast on pretty much every image. And then I'll just dial in that first slider to get the overall amount that I want. Okay. So, but, but how do you, what's your workflow to decide? I, I get that you're going to use different values on each of these sliders here for luminance noise reduction, but how do you decide where to set them? What's your first step? You go to the luminance amount first, that first slider. So I'm going to, I'm going to zoom into 100%. Yep. And then I'm going to take the luminance amount and I'm going to, slide it all the way to the maximum on the right, right, because that'll let me visualize the next two sliders. Okay. And then I'm going to take the detail and I'm going to move it left or right until I find the sweet spot for just the detail. And then I'll leave that there. And then I'll go down to the contrast and I'll slide that left and right until I get what I think is kind of optimal there. And I'm moving around the image. I'm not just sitting put in one part of the image because you're zooming in at 100%. You do want to look at a few different areas right. because you get different results in different parts of the image but I just kind of optimize those two with the luminance amount at the max. And then I'll bring that luminance amount back until I get kind of the overall look that I want from the image. Okay. And do do you always approach luminance after sharpening? Um, yes, but it's a little iterative because, um, I might set the sharpness, then do the noise reduction. And then I might go back and further tweak the sharpness because they're kind of fighting against each other, right? right? As I, add sharpness, I'm adding noise. And as I noise reduce, I'm reducing sharpness. Right. <laughs> so there's, it's kind of this push pull thing, but I like to kind of work with the, the, the sharpness stuff up top and then I'll do the noise reduction. And then if I have to, I'll go back to the, the sharpening and I'll just change the sharpening amount. I'm not going to play with all the other sliders there. Um, so it's, it's usually just some small little tweak. Like maybe I had set it at like 40 and then after noise reduction I'm like you know what i can push it a little bit higher and it ends up at like 50 instead on uh-huh. the sharpness um but it, it's it's usually a really small thing like if you didn't go back to it it's not a, it's not usually a problem right. but um i think the place where i do it the most would be that really super noisy image like i shot a, a rock concert and it's you know iso 4000 or something like that um because the more noise you have in the image the harder it is going to be to figure out what's the right balance of these things Whereas like an image shot at ISO 100 doesn't usually need a lot of noise reduction, but it does need usually a lot of sharpening. So it's, you know, the lower the ISO, the easier this is to do. And the higher the ISO, the more time you're going to have to spend with the whole process. Right, right. Okay. All right. Now let's move on to the last group, the color noise reduction. You approach this kind of exactly the same way, or is there some differences here in these sliders? It's the same approach, right? I'll take the, fr- so there's three sliders. There's color, which is the amount there's the detail and the smoothness and I'll do the same approach where I take that amount to the maximum and then I set the next two sliders and then I come back to finalize the color amount to get the the right look. Um, The thing I'd say about this is this is the least important part. Like if you never touch the the color noise reduction sliders, you're probably never going to think, wow, I've got a terrible image. Um, (laughs) It's the least important. So you you can definitely skip this most of the time, but if you want to push your, your images to the, you know, maximum potential, it's a good one to get in and understand, especially for certain types of situations. So color noise is going to pop up a lot in like high ISO or just areas of really fine color detail. Like if I have um, flowers in the distance, so they're kind of like flowers that are like a pixel big kind of thing, then you may start to have some little details you, you want to tweak. And that's when I, I find that color noise reduction is worth spending a little time with. Um, so the, the workflow here, right? I take that color amount to the max and then I just slide that color detail left and right. 
And this is the same thing. This is kind of like masking, um, but for color. So it's going to, you know, as you add more color detail, it's going to allow more of that overall color noise through. And the more you slide it to the left, the more it's going to try and remove it. Um, this is a slider that you really want to stick to kind of middle values. Um, I'd say generally like 25 to 50 is a good range. If you take it all the way to the maximum, you end up just kind of removing any fine color. <laughs> right. And so like, if, for example, if you had a star that has like a little bit of a blue or red edge, you, know, you probably want some of that color. And if you slide all the way, you're losing that. Or if I have like a traffic light and it's bleeding kind of a red glow around that traffic light in the night sky, you, know, you start to lose that if you push the, you know, the detail uh, too much in one direction. And if you push it too much in the other direction, that fine detail shows up as color noise. So if I slide the color detail all the way to 100, it's kind of like when I turn the color noise amount off. You, you just end up with these like weird pixel colors. Like why is there like orange showing up in the middle of this like blue night sky? You just get strange right. things like that. Um, so that one, just kind of keep it in, in a middle value. And then smoothness is a little harder to explain, but it's sort of how much the color can vary from one area to the next. And so if you find that you have kind of like, like blotchy areas, so think about like color smoothness operating on a, like a larger portion of the image. It's not pixel level. It's, it's a bigger portion of the image. And so if you get kind of a, a blotchiness from like one area to the next, then you can move that color smoothness to try and even it out. And it'll definitely affect things like that, you know, glow around a traffic light that I mentioned, or like a neon sign, things like that. So if you're, if you have kind of a color glow coming off of an object, this is something that's good to, to sort of play with. But I find that can be really helpful. Like going back to that idea of like the Milky Way, the more I slide the, the smoothness to the right, the more I might even out, you know, kind of like purple, pink variability in, in the clouds or, um, you know, in the gases of the Milky Way and that sort of thing. You can kind of tone some of that down. Um, but the, the default, which is right in the middle at 50 is, is generally great. So really for the most part, you don't need to do a lot in this area, but it is helpful to, to tweak these sliders to, you know, really push an image if you're going to print big. And if you're in a more extreme scenario for color, which is usually going to be like high ISO or areas of small color detail, like those, you know, teeny little flowers or teeny, you know, signs and such in the image. Right. Perfect. Okay. So I, I love the workflow you just described there. Mine's very similar. I, I, it, it pretty much exactly the same thing that, that I do. Um, I did handle my use of sharpening was a little different than yours, but I'm absolutely going to go try that now that we've had this, this discussion. I'm going to see, um, see how I, I use masking, um, more. So, uh, that was one of the differences was I, I, I liked to do some masking, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to, I'm going to go give that a try now that we've, we've talked about this in more detail. One thing I wanted to mention about all of this, um, I just talked about on the last episode that I've I've started a new massive project for myself, <laughs> and I'm I'm doing some real serious uh, testing of Lightroom and hardware resources that it needs as you're using these sliders in Lightroom. So, I, and I don't know, I hadn't thought about it till we were working through this episode that I don't know if Camera Raw will be the same in Photoshop as far as hardware utilization as it is in Lightroom. If I have extra time, I'll have to test that out. But um, but what I'm doing, Greg, is I'm going through all of these sliders that are in the basic panel, as well as the adjustment brushes and the radial filters and gradient filters, and spot remove. I'm going through all the functions that are in Lightroom develop module. And I am try I'm I'm gonna use the adjustment 
thing, the feature um, in these ca- in this case that we're talking about the sharpening and and noise reduction sliders. I'm gonna in, in with those sliders, I rock them back and forth, extreme to extreme, for a solid minute, just going like crazy. Something no photographer would ever do, <laughs> or ever want to do. But I want to see: does it use CPU, GPU, or uh, memory? Any any of those con- the combinations there, and try to identify what kind of computer hardware you really need to keep up with stuff. I'm not through my testing by any stretch. I have a lot of testing to do. So I can't say definitively in this episode yet kind of what the what the results are other than I can tell you that these group this group of sliders by my experience so far are the most taxing on your CPU of all the sliders that are in Lightroom. So my one other thing I wanted to say here was as you're adjusting these sliders, if you move them fairly quickly between, you know, right to left, left to right, and don't wait for a second or a little bit of time for, for Lightroom to catch up. And there's no indicator. It doesn't say like loading or working on it. You don't get the beach ball or the, the little hourglass in windows. It just doesn't update your view, even especially at one-to-one where you really need to do it anyway. You got to give these sliders a little bit of time, depending on how fast your computer is. It might go faster than others. But just make sure as you're changing these sliders, when you move it, let it sit there for a second so you make sure you got an updated view of what the impact of that slider has been. I've been amazed to see on these sliders, it didn't take but like, you know, half a second for me of of rocking the slider to get 100% CPU utilization. It was, it's really intensive on the CPU. So that's just another tip that I'd provide as you're going through to do this. I know I've had experiences as I was editing, uh, especially like the color smoothness or the the contrast slider, the uh, the I wouldn't see any difference. Like I don't see anything changing as I'm using this. And it's because I went too fast with the slider. I didn't give it enough time to update so I could see the effect. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and it will um It'll affect your battery life and the heat of the oh, yeah. machine. The I mean, fans. if I start playing with these sliders, it doesn't take long before I hear the fans turn on. It was and amazing. A, like a 2018 I, MacBook Pro, which is certainly notorious for heat issues, is. but you really are pushing your computer. And and I'm I'm testing like the the initial test. I haven't moved to the. I'm going to test PC versus Mac two just to see if there's any difference. I don't expect there to be a tremendous amount of difference. But um, what I've what I've started testing on was actually a Windows machine with with liquid cooling, and. The if I remember right from the early tests I've done, these sliders were the only ones that made the actual fans, the other fans in the computer turn on <laughs> as I was using these sliders. So they're really intensive. These sliders are like a big deal. So so uh, yeah, just be patient. It, even if you have a really nice fast computer, these sliders are probably going to react more slowly than the others. So just be prepared for that. Yeah. And if you're batch processing like a wedding or sports or something, this is a great place to just edit one and then synchronize those settings to everything else. Sure. Very good point. Yes, that's right. That'll save a ton of time. You don't want to go adjust this individually on each one of them. If you've got the same setup, same kind of um, picture, then yeah, just copy and paste them. That's good. All right. So we've covered those pretty well. I wanted to give you a chance um, at the end of the episode here to Tell me um, a little bit more. You, you had in your blog post um, ways that Lumenzia can kind of help if you're in Photoshop because that's where Lumenzia works. 
Um, tell me about what more you can do with this there. Yeah. So, so Lamentia again is a, a luminosity mask and selection plugin. So it's just a way of targeting the image by tones in the image. And there's a couple ways where that can be really helpful. Noise tends to show up more in the shadows of an image than in the brighter parts of an image. It's just kind of generally the way it works. And you certainly could use, you know, the range max function, like you mentioned, um, in Lumenzia, you could set, for example, um, your sharpening to be applied just to the highlights and you could set your noise reduction to be just applied to the shadows. If you wanted to get a little bit fancier, something I do with night images specifically where I have stars is Lumenzia has this, um, type of mask that I call a difference mask where it compares the pixels to their neighbors. So you can pick things that are brighter or kind of the inverse. So for example, I would take a, a night sky and I would select everything that's not the stars because it'll pick everything that's not the brightest thing. And you can then apply the noise reduction around the stars. And I find that that does a better job of controlling the sharpening than using the masking slider in Adobe Camera Raw. And the place I would really use something like that would be, you know, sometimes I'll shoot a bunch of images and I'll use Starry Landscape Stacker to combine them. So you can reduce noise by just combining multiple photos together. But sometimes you can't do that. Maybe you don't have the images or there's other considerations like you're shooting the Aurora, which is moving. And so if you're trying to get the most out of just like one, you know, high ISO image, it can be a really nice tool to clean up the apparent noise because other than the stars, the rest of the sky doesn't have a lot of detail and you can really apply a lot of noise reduction. But if you apply that noise reduction to the stars themselves, then it starts to look a little soft. So that's, that's an area where I try to take that difference uh, mask in Lumenzia and use the not function to invert it. And that will put the noise reduction just where I want it and leave the stars looking nice and sharp. Yeah. Very, a very cool feature that you can do in Photoshop. You don't have to have Lumenzia to I mean the diff function is, is that kind of really specific or can you get, can you make that happen without the plugin? Um, it would take a number of steps. I'm okay. not aware of any other ap approach like that. All right. Fair enough. So anyway, Lumenzi is a tool you should all have. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're listening to the episode, if you liked what we went through, um, you need to investigate Greg's website. I'll have a link in the show notes because uh, he has constantly has good posts like this. A lot of what we just went through is detailed out already in his post, and I'll have it in the in the show notes for this episode too, so you can find exactly what we talked about. I, I know I've had that happen constantly. I'll hear some kind of workflow, some kind of tool, some something I want to try. I may even see it demonstrated. And then I go to do it myself and I can't remember what they said. So don't worry about it. You, you've got the show notes um, for the, the episode here at masterphotographypodcast.com. Also have uh, Greg's website that we'll link to so that you can you can see it from uh, from the horse's mouth. You can hear it from the horse's mouth that way. Um, he's, he's got a really good YouTube video that's in there too that kind of helps show, demonstrate um, so I have to do this. So I highly recommend that. Uh, that's great. And, and going in, and getting the Lumenzia plugin is definitely worth the purchase price and I uh, highly recommend it. All right. I think we, uh, we covered it pretty well here, Greg. I think so. <laughs> All right. Let's move to the, let's close up the show here. Let's talk about our, our doodads of the week. I don't know if you've picked one, Greg, but uh, I'll start out with mine. Um, I'm going to recommend for the first time on the show, but I've been using this for a while. So I've been waiting to recommend it until I'd had some time with it. Um, I'm going to recommend the Microsoft NTFS for Mac software from Paragon. It's about 20 bucks. 
and I'll have a link to it in the show notes so you can you can figure out where to go to go buy it. What this is, um, it may not be a tool uh, a lot of listeners need because I know there's a, a huge portion of the listeners that are Mac users and they only use Macs and and they don't have any challenges with this. But if you are a like me who uses both Windows and Mac, and I, I do that constantly, I'm switching back and forth. I have a, Mac, a Windows desktop that I primarily edit from and then I use a MacBook Pro while I'm, I'm on the move. If that is something that you do, you have this challenge, especially with external hard drives, to try to figure out how to format them so that you can read write on both. And there's some formats you can use, but this tool allows me to format the drive for Windows and then have Mac use it very seamlessly. And it has done really, really well. I've done some performance testing to kind of see if there's a a big change in the performance and I haven't seen one. And it's uh, written to and from the files just fine. Like I can take the hard drive from my Windows machine, immediately plug it into the Mac. The software enables it so I can read and write just fine to it. And it works flawlessly. So I can highly recommend that software from Paragon. If that's your situation, and I've had tons of people ask me about this, then uh, this is the utility that I can recommend. Greg, do you have a doodad? You know, I'll throw one out. It's it's a little niche, but since we're on the topic of noise reduction, um, I've been using a star tracker a little bit lately, Ooh. which, um, you know, if you're shooting, you know, the night sky, like I'm talking about there, uh, the biggest challenge is the stars are moving. And so you can't leave your shutter open very long before right. they start to blur out or create little streaks. And so in order to uh, counteract that, what you can do is put on a moving platform that actually rotates at the same speed as the stars in the sky. Right. So you can take some really long exposures. Like I can only shoot for about 13 seconds with my wide angle lens normally. But the first time I went out with this sky sky tracker, I got an eight minute exposure that was super clean. So you're down to like ISO 400. So that's an awesome tool to clean up your images or just have a better starting point. Um, And it's like 300 bucks, Um, you know, and there's a little bit of a technical curve to, to learn there. It's not terrible. Um, but you know, if you're, if you are shooting like the night sky, like Milky Way and that kind of stuff, it's a really cool thing to, to check out. Which of the two major brands did you decide to go with? You know, I don't even remember. What are the two options? Oh, I can't. That's why I said two major brands. Cause I can't remember. <laughs> there was, they're named similarly. They, like, uh, they both have sky I'll, in I'll, it I'll or let something. You, know so you can put it in the show notes. <laughs> okay, I don't good. remember which, but the one I got, I was super happy with it. Actually, um, they have a whole process for calibrating. I was nervous about, right. and it was actually perfect uh, the first time I used it. So I didn't have to do anything to it. So I was super thrilled with it. Okay. I've been looking into getting, I want to, I want to have one and I, I've been having a hard time deciding between the two major brands. They're, they're not in price very different. They're, they're pretty close to the same price. And so I, I'm having a hard time deciding which of the two I want to save up my money for, but I, this is a tool I really want to get to. So, all right, I'll, I'll make sure. Well, Greg will send me the <laughs> which one he decided on. Uh, did how did you make the decision, Greg? Was there something in particular that that made you decide the one he got? You know, I was out shooting with uh, my my friend Keith Evans, who does a lot of astrophotography, and he's shooting like two hundred millimeter shots all the time. And he said this was the one to get. So, okay, uh, he knows a lot more about that than I do, and I, I went with his recommendation. All right, and I think that's that's for the most part exactly how uh, it has been. I've I've seen um I've seen recommendations on both sides. That's why it's also been hard because. I you know I've followed a whole bunch of people who do a lot of astrophotography just to learn tips and tricks. I, it's an interest I have, so 
I've been learning as much about it as I can. And that's why it's been super hard because it seems like pretty evenly split <laughs> between the two major brands of, of the Star Trackers. So, all right. Well, yeah, send me, send me a note on which one it is that you went with and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, you bet. Okay. I want to remind everyone that you can find those show notes over at masterphotographypodcast.com and they're searchable. I, I spend so much time on them. If you're not going over to masterphotographypodcast.com to check out the show notes or find, you know, they're searchable because I've spent so much time putting in a lot of detailed notes. So you can find episodes on a lot of topics. If you have questions about anything in photography, there's a really good chance we've had at least one episode covering that topic. So head over there to masterphotographypodcast.com and, and try out the search and see what you can find there. We have a Facebook group where a lot of people interact constantly. You can search Facebook for Master Photography Podcast or there will be a link in the show notes to it. You do have to answer a question to join the group. I continue to see tons of people. They're probably just people who are stumbling across the group and don't actually listen to the show, but we want you, we want only want listeners in the show. We don't want the spammers or the bots in there. I've had to kick out a couple of people recently too because they were uh, they were posting spammy things. So um, you have to answer a question of a name of the host, and that can be either Jeff or Greg from this episode. And uh, and then I'll know that uh, you've listened at least once to the show. So uh, do that. And then you can find my work, jsharmanphotos.com. You can listen to the other show that I host called phototacopodcast.com. It's a monthly show where I dive into all kinds of technical topics. And that's where you're going to get the information about the hardware testing that I'm doing on Lightroom. So if you want to know and keep that information. If you want to understand that, then um, make sure you follow or subscribe to that podcast, Photo Taco. Uh, I'll have my Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter links in the show notes too. Greg, where can people find you? Uh, GregBenzPhotography.com is the best place. Greg Benz, that's B-E-N-Z. And uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes too. Again, Greg's site's awesome. I learn from it constantly. So uh, you definitely need to go check that out. I'll make sure to bring him on whenever there's like a post that really sparks my interest like this one did too. So thanks for, for joining me, Greg. It was real fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. All right. And remember, Lumenzia is another good product that you need to go check out from Greg so that you can uh, you can raise your Photoshop game. It's really a good, <laughs> good tool to help with that. Um, all right. With that, we're, we want to thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you again in another seven days. 